Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we continue our study of the covenants of God with Abraham, as recorded throughout Abraham's history in Genesis chapters 12 and following, we come this time to Genesis chapter 21 and the birth of Isaac. We may see this uh, chapter in Genesis as God's response to Abraham's loss of faith as recorded in Genesis chapter 20. Abraham had gone down to Gerar, and in going down to Gerar, he and Sarah had determined that Sarah would present herself as Abraham's uh, sister rather than as his wife. And this was a very uh, grievous sin on the part of Abraham and Sarah. And it was such a grievous sin because it put the mother of the promised seed at risk. It was a threat to the promise of God to Abraham that Sarah would be the mother of the promised seed. But God deals very kindly and gently with Abraham and does delivers him from the uh, circumstances, the troubled circumstances into which he brought himself. And then in Genesis chapter 21, actually fulfills the promise he had made that he would give to Abraham and Sarah a son. So here we have the initial fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that he would have an heir of his own body. Now, it's also uh, interesting then that in this same chapter, Hagar and Ishmael are sent away. Sarah sees Ishmael scoffing at Isaac, and she says to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son namely with Isaac. That's verse 10. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac, your seed shall be called. That is, Ishmael is not to be an heir of the promises with Isaac. He is not to participate in the promises that God had made to Abraham regarding his son. He's not to be an heir of the land. Isaac is to be the heir of the land. And he's not to be the one with whom God has this special covenantal relationship. That covenantal relationship is to be with Isaac and with the descendants of Isaac only. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman, because he is your seed. So God makes a promise to Ishmael, but that promise is different from the promise that he made to Abraham and to Isaac. Galatians chapter 4 actually makes quite a bit of this incident in Abraham's history. If you turn to the end of that chapter, verses 21 and following, you can see that the Apostle Paul takes this and makes it a kind of allegory for Israel in his own day versus the church. 
Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar, for this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. So Abraham takes um, the son of the bondwoman, Ishmael, and makes him symbolic of the covenant of God with Israel at Mount Sinai, that covenant which uh, gives birth to bondage. And he says that covenant at Sinai corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, that is, unbelieving Jerusalem, which God has rejected, according to Romans chapter 11. And that Jerusalem is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. And this is the new covenant in our Lord Jesus Christ. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Sarah had many more children than Hagar. Because Sarah's children were not only the people of Israel in the Old Testament, but all believers from the Gentiles also in the New Testament. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then we, brethren, are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. So it's in Isaac that his Abraham's seed is to be called, and we are the children of Abraham through Isaac and Jacob, and all believers in both Old and New Testaments. Now, Genesis 21 also has another part to it, which we should comment on at least very briefly. At the end of that chapter, verses 22 to 34, there's recorded for us a covenant that Abraham made with Abimelech. Abimelech saw that God was with Abraham in all that he did, verse 22. And Abimelech therefore came to Abraham and asked him to make a covenant with him. Swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring or with my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which you have dwelt." And Abraham said, I will swear. And then a little bit later in that chapter, verse 27, Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. And verse 32, thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose with Phicol, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. 
I think what we have here is the beginning of another fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham. Abimelech sees how great Abraham is, that God is blessing him in whatever he does. And Abimelech begins to be afraid of Abraham, afraid that Abraham will uh, invade his country perhaps and uh, overpower him and do harm to him or to his descendants. And so he goes, recognizing this greatness of Abraham, he goes to Abraham and he asks Abraham to make a covenant with him. God had said to Abraham, I will make your name great. And here we see at least a small hint of how great that name of Abraham was going to be. It becomes much greater later on, of course, as Abraham becomes the father of Israel, and as he becomes the father of many nations in the New Testament. But already here we begin to see that greatness of Abraham's name. That takes us then to Genesis chapter 22. And Genesis chapter 22, I think, is the culmination of the life of Abraham. Everything that follows about, about the life of Abraham after uh, Genesis chapter 22 falls into two categories. It's kind of the uh, end of Abraham's life, and it's also Abraham preparing uh, Isaac, finding a wife for Isaac, and preparing Isaac to continue the line of the covenant through the seed of the promise. So here is the culmination of Abraham's life. And what we have here is God coming to Abraham and telling him to offer up his only son. God does not hold back either in giving this commandment to Abraham. He says to him in verse 2 of that chapter, Take now your son, your only son. Ishmael's left out of the reckoning altogether whom you love. He emphasizes Abraham's love for this son. And of course, Abraham and Sarah would have been very deeply attached to Isaac and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, the key to understanding this chapter is to see that in this command that God gave to Abraham, God was uh, directly threatening the covenants he had made with Abraham. All of Abraham's hope in the promises of God was bound up in Isaac, his son. None of those promises could be fulfilled except through Isaac. There would be no inheritance of the land. There would be no great nation. There would be no fatherhood of many nations. There would be no blessing for Abraham and for his descendants except through Isaac. And God was therefore coming to him and saying to him, I want you to destroy your hope of my promises. I want to destroy this you to destroy this son in whom all your hope is bound up. And this is, of course, a test of Abraham's faith. Not just a test to see if faith exists in him, but a test which is intended to strengthen and purify that faith. As Peter talks about in 1 Peter 1, Peter says in verses 6 and 7 of that 
chapter. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God tested Abraham's faith with fire here in Genesis chapter 22. That faith was to God and to Abraham more precious than gold that perishes. And through this testing, that faith of Abraham was found unto praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Abraham uh, acted immediately upon God's commandment. He did not hesitate. He did not question God. He did not rebel against God's commandment. Early in the morning, after God had come to him and given him this commandment, he rose up to do exactly as God had commanded him to do. And Hebrews 11 tells us that he did it because his faith in the promise was so strong that he believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead. He knew that God would fulfill his promises. And he said to himself when he went to obey God's commandments, whatever I do to Isaac, God will keep his promises. He will, if necessary, raise Isaac from the dead again and give him back to me so that his promises can be fulfilled. And again, God was very gracious to Abraham, of course. He did not require him actually to kill his son Isaac, but he provided instead a ram who was caught by his horns in the bushes in that area and whom Abraham took as the substitute for Isaac. The blood of the covenant must be shed. Abraham had still to offer a sacrifice, but it was not to be Isaac. Isaac's blood would not be sufficient. Instead, there must be the ram, the, uh, whose blood points ahead to the blood of the perfect Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. It's interesting, too, that uh, Abraham offered Isaac on Mount Moriah, the place where later the temple was built. And I think that's important. God is, in many ways, here in Genesis already, preparing for Israel's inheritance of the land of Canaan and his dwelling among them there, Mount Moriah becomes significant for the first time in Israel's history here already about 800 or 900 years, something like that, before the temple was actually built. In response to Abraham's faith then, God repeated his promises to Abraham. You find that in Genesis chapter 22 verses 15 and following, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. 
Notice how God repeats several of his promises. Blessing, I will bless you. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all nations of the earth shall be blessed. God is again repeating to Abraham for the strengthening and confirmation of his faith, the promises he has already made to him. That's basically then the um, significant material that we find in Genesis with regard to the life of Abraham. In Genesis chapters 22, verse 20, and the chapters following, uh, we have recorded for us the death of Isaac, or the death of Sarah, excuse me, the finding of a wife for Isaac to continue the seed of the promise in the promised land through Isaac and Rebekah and the birth of their twin sons, Jacob and Esau, the continuation of the seed of the woman, therefore. And in Genesis chapter 25, the sending away of Abraham's other sons, the sons of Keturah. Abraham again took a wife, and her name was Keturah, and she bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. And then we read in verse 5, And Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, that is, Isaac was his heir, not these other sons, but Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines which Abraham had, and while he was still living, he sent them eastward, away from Isaac his son, to the country of the east. They are not to be heirs with Isaac. The land is not for them. The promises of God made to Abraham were not for Isaac, not for the other sons of Abraham. They too are sent away, just as Ishmael had been sent away. That then brings us to the end of the life of Abraham. Now the rest of the book of Genesis then is about the history of Isaac and Jacob and Esau and uh, Jacob's 12 sons. And what we see in the rest of that history of Genesis is how God began to fulfill the rest of his promises to Abraham. You find repeated throughout those chapters of Genesis, chapters 23 to 50, uh, the promises of God, many times repeated. I would say probably at least a dozen times there are references to or repetitions of the promises of God made to Abraham. But you also find that God is beginning to fulfill those promises, and that fulfillment of the promises comes in a very strange and striking way, because uh, God takes Jacob and his family out of the land of Canaan, out of the land of promise, and brings them down to the land of Egypt, where they suffer the oppression of the Egyptians for 400 years. This is a, a very uh, unusual way for him to fulfill his promises. It's only through this complex history of the hatred of Joseph's brothers for him. They're selling him into Egypt. Joseph rising to power in Egypt. 
Jacob's sons coming to Egypt for food and eventually moving there, and then Israel growing into a mighty nation there and being oppressed by the Egyptians there, that God is working out the fulfillment of the promise that he will give to Abraham and to his descendants, the land of Canaan. And we read then, as the book of Exodus begins, not only about the oppression of Israel in Egypt, but how Israel multiplied in Egypt. There's a um, very um, emphatic statement of the uh, multiplication of Israel in verse 7. The children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, Exodus chapter 1, verse 7. And the land was filled with them. Notice four times that that verse talks about how they increased. They were fruitful. They increased abundantly. They multiplied. They grew exceedingly mighty. And then in verse 12, the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And then again, a little bit later in that same chapter, Verse 20, therefore God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. Here is the promise that Abraham will be the father of a numerous seed being fulfilled. And finally, when Israel begins to cry out to God in her oppression, God remembers his promise to Abraham. Exodus 2 verses 24 and 25. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. And so what follows then in the Old Testament scriptures from Exodus all the way to Malachi is the history of this covenant people of God. It is the covenant of God with this covenant people, Israel, that dominates the whole of the Old Testament. In fact, the whole of the Old Testament, except perhaps the book of Job, is about God's promises to Israel, the fulfillment of those promises, and the people's breaking of his covenant through their sins against him. So again and again we see this work of God in uh, coming to Uh, fulfill to Israel the promises that he had made to Abraham. And we see God working with Abraham's seed, the seed of the promise throughout all of Old Testament history. And that history, as we will continue to see throughout this series, continues right on into the New Testament as God brings into the line of the promised seed the Gentiles, And as he gathers a seed of Abraham, not only from the nation of Israel, but also from all the nations of the earth. In general, then, what we've seen in the history of Abraham is God working with Abraham's faith by means of these covenant promises. He comes to Abraham with his promise Abraham believes the promise, but his faith is not steadfast. His faith wavers. He commits various sins. He tries to help God out. He leaves the land of promise. He lies about Sarah. 
And many things happen in Abraham's life that are, are sinful, but God always deals graciously with him and comes to him again with reassurances, with repetitions of his promises, and with the formal making of covenant with him as well in Genesis 15 and Genesis 17. And one time in that history, God tests Abraham's faith to the limit, not just to see if he believes, but to strengthen that faith of Abraham and to repeat to him again the promises he had been making throughout his sojourn in the land of Canaan. This is the way God works with his people in all ages. He comes to us with the promise of the gospel, the new covenant, and he speaks those promises to us. And faith receives and is nourished by those promises. But faith is not always strong. Faith wavers. Faith weakens. And faith needs to return to the promises of God to be strengthened, to be uh, restored again. That's the lesson we learn then from the faith of Abraham in response to the promises of God. So we see, especially in the life of Abraham, the place and importance of faith in relation to the covenant of God and the promises. Faith receives the promises, the promises of the covenant nurture and strengthen and maintain that faith for us. Next time then, God willing, we'll begin to look again at specifically at the promises that God made to Abraham and see how those promises were fulfilled in the history of Israel and in the New Testament and God's dealings with the Gentiles. We also then hope to look at the whole subject of justification by faith in connection with the word of God in Genesis 15, which says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. May God bless you with his word.